Good morning. My name is John Gurton. I am the creative arts pastor here. <coughs> Ironically, I was going to tell you I'm going to be coughing. Um, I had COVID a couple weeks ago, and being an asthmatic, it's been a long process to come out of that. So I am going to cough a little bit. I apologize, and I'll probably have moments where I need to catch my breath. Now that that's out of the way and you understand why that's happening, let's jump into the message, all right? We are now in week five of our series, Rhythms. Pastor Chris and Nick have done a, a great job of telling us about the different rhythms in our lives. So they've talked about daily devotions, prayer, sacrificial generosity, and sharing your story. And these are all good rhythms to have in our relationship with Christ. Now I get the opportunity to tell you of a rhythm that disrupts our relationship with Christ. It's something that we don't want to have in our rhythm. But real quick though, before I jump into that, I want to have everyone try something. So let me grab a chair. We're doing a series called Rhythm. So I want to teach you a rhythm. Now, Chris, our, our lead pastor, said in the first message that he doesn't have any rhythm. And I can vouch for that. Uh, I tried to teach him how to play drums years ago, and it was hilarious and awful. So what I want you to do is take your right hand, go like this. You're going to be hitting your leg with it. But we're going to count to four, okay? So we're going to go one, two, three, four. Perfect. Okay. Now on one, we're going to add our right foot, which acts like a kick drum. So this was kind of like a hi-hat, and then this is going to be a kick. So everybody, right hand and your foot on one, two, three, four. Perfect. Now it's going to get more complicated, okay? You're going to take your left hand. This is going to act like a snare drum, and on three, you're going to hit your left leg. So let me show you before you do it. It's one, two, three, four, okay? All right, let's try it. Ready? One, two, three, four. Keep going. One, two, three, four. One, two, three. Perfect. All right. Now, most of you got it. Some of you are still kind of like, I have no clue what's going on. Why are we counting? What do my hands have to do? All right. Now, what I want us to do is I want this part right here of the sanctuary, I want you to do whatever you want. Come in whenever you want. It doesn't have to be on one. You can come in on the end. You can come in on whatever you want. Do whatever beat you want. Just have fun with it, okay? The rest of us, you're going to stick with me, okay? We're going to count. We're going to be together. We're going to be in unison. We're going to have the same rhythm, all right? So we're going to start, and then I'll tell you when you can come in. Just, I'll just say come in whenever you want, okay? Ready? Hands up. One, two, three, four. Everybody, come in whenever you want. Two, three, four. One, two, three, four. All right, stop. See, wasn't that unique, right? We're in rhythm, and then all of a sudden you've got all these random pitter-patters over there, and it's like, what's happening? And it's tough for us to stay in rhythm, right? Well, this is kind of representative of what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be talking about strongholds, about sin, and that's something that disrupts our rhythm with God. So essentially, what I just made you do is represent sin. So I apologize. <laughs> but what, what needs to happen is this disrupted the rhythm, the rhythm of Christ, this, this true rhythm that we know. It was disruptive, right? So this group needs to come back into that rhythm and admit, hey, I was doing it wrong. I need to do it the right way. So this will make sense here in a second once we get into our terms. I want to let you know now, though, you have all graduated drummer school so when you leave this place, if you don't learn anything, you can walk out of here and be like, I'm a drummer. What's up? 
You know, drummers are the coolest, right, Elijah? So you can drum in your car now. You can drum at work. You can annoy your wife at the kitchen table when she's trying to serve dinner and just play on the, the table. Don't do that. I've done it. Don't do it. All right. So as I said, we're going to be talking about strongholds. Now, strongholds are things that grip and make you change course. It's something that, that takes you <coughs> out of rhythm with the Lord. The thing that brings us back into relationship, the thing that I mentioned about this group needing to come back into the rhythm, is called repentance. So there's, there's sin that disrupts rhythm and repentance that brings us back into rhythm with the Lord. But before we jump into these two things, I want to represent those two things in a story I have titled, A Tale of Two Sauls. Okay, so there are two Sauls that are very well known in the scriptures. In the Old Testament, there's a king named Saul. Now, what's interesting about him is he was uh, kind of a ruggedly handsome man of stature. So when Israel decided, hey, we want to have a king, they looked around and they found Saul and they were like, he looks like Chris Hemsworth. He's kind of like... Thor, like a Captain America style, he's going to be our king. And they were like, yeah, that's, that's the guy. And so he has this automatic feeling of pride because he's like, all of Israel picked me. They think I'm that handsome that I am a man of stature. You know, I'm, I'm quite the guy. So he continues on with this mindset and it starts to develop into a stronghold for him. So much so that he starts to hear whispers of this new kid on the block named David. And he runs into David on the battlefield and David's like, oh, don't worry, I got it taken care of. Just give me a sling and five stones. I'll take care of the giant that you're scared of. And he kills the giant. So immediately Saul's like, ooh, this guy's kind of up and coming here. Well, then David is told he's going to be the next king and whispers start to come to Saul. And Saul's like taking a hit to his pride, to this stronghold, everything he's based his life on. Who's this David guy? And then to put more on it, David marries his daughter. He becomes best friends with Saul's son. So Saul's starting to think, he's making his way into my camp. He's going to take over my kingship. And so Saul is driven insane by this idea of pride, this stronghold, this issue. And he starts to say, I'm going to kill David so he can't take my kingship. And he starts to attack David as much as he can. And David's like, I'm not going to kill you. You're the Lord's servant. I'm not going to do this. But it, it doesn't matter to Saul. He is driven insane by this thought. So what eventually happens is this stronghold leads to his ruin. If you're reading along with our 49-week plan that we've been posting of our daily readings, you read how Saul died this past week. He's on the battlefield. All of his sons are killed. His lineage is gone. And he knows that the Philistine camp is going to come get him. And instead of allowing that, he falls on his own sword. Even in death, his pride gets a hold of him. I'm not going to allow that. I'll die on my own terms. This is my life. So this stronghold leads to ruin and destruction. Now on to the next Saul in the New Testament. This guy named Saul, same idea. He's got status. He's a man of stature. He's in the religious elite. He's kind of serving in that fold. He's hoping to get rich off of it. So much so that there's this new thing happening, this, this thing called the way, where people are following Jesus and Nick mentioned Stephen ministers, where there's this guy named Stephen who's ministering in the Bible. And the religious elite are like, we don't like, what you, we don't like what you have to say. You're talking about Jesus, and that's not who we believe in. And so we don't like what you have to say. They get so angry that they take him out and they decide they're going to stone him. 
Well, what's interesting about this is that it's stated in this story in Scripture that this guy named Saul is standing off on the side holding the cloaks of the religious elite watching this happen. See, he wants to be in this status, this place of power. He has a pride issue, a stronghold of pride. But here's where it is different than the first Saul. Saul's on his way to a place called Damascus. I encourage you to look this story up. It's pretty crazy. There's a donkey involved. But Saul's on his way to Damascus, and Jesus reveals himself to him in a crazy way. And Saul realizes, I am on the wrong path. I am doing the wrong thing. I have a stronghold and I need to repent from it. So he turns the other way and he pursues the way of Jesus. Not only that, Jesus looks at him and he says, you're forgiven, but I'm going to give you a new name, a new identity. You're no longer known as Saul. Your name is now Paul. So he literally leaves an old life behind and goes to a new life. And I love the fact that Paul, after this story happens, he freely admits, yes, I have a new life, but I also have a thorn in my flesh. I have this stronghold that has been in my life, continues to be in my life, and it continually tries to pull me away from Jesus. But I am choosing not to be in this stronghold. I am choosing new life. I think a lot of the times we say, well, I'm going to give up the stronghold <laughs> and move forward. But we don't realize the fact that it's a stronghold. It's going to try and pull you back. And Paul freely admits that. It's not going to be easy but you need to make that choice daily. So we see the ripple effect of repentance and non-repentance. In one camp, he doesn't repent. It leads to his destruction, devastation for his family, his nation. In the other camp, it's a guy who decides to follow Jesus to repent from his stronghold. He gets a new identity, and he starts writing letters to the churches to encourage them on their following of Jesus. So much so that we now read the majority of the New Testament in churches, the words of Paul. Now that is a life changed because of repentance. So we're going to dive into the idea of repentance first. We're going to talk about what that means. Well, growing up in a, a, a Christian household, not only that, but also I was a PK, pastor's kid. My dad was the founding church here over in what we call the annex. The parsonage is where I was raised. I would get in trouble a lot. I was a little boy, right? I would get into things and I'd get caught. And then I would say, I'm sorry. And my dad, being a pastor and very knowledgeable, he would say, are you sorry you got caught? Or are you repentant? And I would be like, I don't know what that word means. I am sorry I got caught. You know, like being a little boy, if you get your hand caught in the cookie jar, let's say, you want another cookie, right? So I'm sorry I got caught, but I'm going to go back to that cookie. But what he's saying, what my dad would say to me was, Here's the thing. You can be sorry you got caught and not really be sorry. To be repentant means to turn away from that thing, to choose not to do it anymore. And I vividly remember that because it happened on many occasions. But in the book of Acts, the word repent comes from the original word metanoeo, which means to change one's mind or purpose. So I want you to think about it this way. You are on a path towards your stronghold, towards sin. And you decide you're going to repent. And so you shift. You go away from that thing. Here's the temptation, though. I'm on my way towards this sin, this stronghold. I realize this is not healthy. So I give it up. And instead of turning to God, I just shift my priority a little bit to a different 
lesser sin. Okay, so instead of saying, I'm done with this sin, we just say, well, this one's not as bad. I'll not do that one, but I'm going to continue on this. That's not repentance. You see, repentance is going towards a stronghold and then realizing, I can't do this anymore. I need to about face and go towards Christ. Repentance is turning away from sin and towards a pursuit of God. It's leaving the old behind and pursuing the new. It's not that easy, though, is it? It's a difficult process, but that's what repentance is. We also need to understand that repentance is a requirement in Christianity. It's a requirement to, first of all, receive the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift, and we need to repent in order to receive that. We're told in Acts 2.38, says, Peter replied, repent, turn away from this life of sin, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Repent, be forgiven, and then receive the Holy Spirit. Secondly, repentance is a requirement to receive forgiveness. We read that in the above passage, but we also read passages like this in 1 John 1, 9. If we claim to be without sin, we're deceiving ourselves. The truth isn't even in us if you claim that. But if we confess our sins, if we're ready to say, yes, I'm a sinner, I want to turn away from that, then he is faithful and just, and he will forgive us our sins. Not only that, he, he's going to purify us from all unrighteousness. Proverbs 28, 13 says, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper. Well, if nobody knows about it, is it really a sin? Well, whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces and turns away from and repents will find mercy. See, I think a lot of the times in church we throw, away, throw out this term of grace, right? God's grace covers everything. But what ends up happening is we live a life thinking, well, I can pursue this thing then, this path towards the stronghold or this sin because I have a blanket of grace that I can just cover that sin with. What does it matter? The thing is, though, that we can be assured of God's grace. That is a promise. But we need to be aware of the need for God's grace. We can't just live in a world of saying, I can do whatever I want. God expects us to have a heart that's repentant, that wants to turn away from sin, and then he offers us grace. Not in a life of sin, but as we desire a life apart from sin. After all, Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us here falls short. We all have sinned, including me. The last thing is that repentance is a requirement for God's provision. 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and what? Turn. Repent from those wicked ways. Go a different direction. Then I will hear from heaven. See, there's this prerequisite. If you do these things, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and will heal their land. I will provide your needs. It's not just saying a prayer. It's a process. It's something that we do. Acts 3.19 says, repent then and turn to God. Go the opposite direction so that your sins may be wiped out. Not only that, he wants to give you times of refreshing that come only from the Lord. Okay, 
So now that we know what repentance is, let's talk about strongholds. This is where it gets a little difficult. In this book, Rooted, that we've been doing in our small groups, they define strongholds in a few ways, and I'm just going to take it out of there because they did a good job. So the first thing is a stronghold is more than a sin. Satan has taken a natural desire in us and supercharged it to create something beyond our control. He has twisted a weakness we have into a binding knot. I want you to picture uh, your, your wrists tied up in rope in a binding knot. And it says that Satan is holding those ropes. He's dragging you along. It is not something we can overcome on our own by trying really hard or being really good. This is something that has taken control of us. Remember that guy, Saul, who became Paul, who wrote all of these letters to the churches and really changed a lot of things? Well, he expresses a stronghold in an interesting way in Romans. Romans 7, 15 through 18, this is in the Christian Standard Version of the Bible. It says, for I don't understand what I'm doing because I don't practice what I want to do. Instead, I do what I hate. What's going on here? Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it's good. So now I'm no longer the one doing it, but it's sin. It's a stronghold living in me, doing these things that I know I don't want to do, but I'm doing them anyways because this thing has captured me. It's pulling me along. For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. The desire to do good is within me. It's some, I want to do good. We, we can resonate with that, right? I want to do good, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but instead I practice the evil I don't want to do. For those of you that understand the stronghold of sin, the power that it can be, you understand that feeling of being dragged along. I don't want to do this. This is not what I want to do, but I continually do it. What's going on? The second thing we must realize about strongholds is that we usually keep them secret. But this continues to give Satan power. The shame or guilt associated with our strongholds keeps them locked inside of us, bound up inside of us, which is exactly where Satan can fuel his, li- his lies. We can often be blind to our own strongholds. They might start out as sin. It's not that big of a deal. It's just this little thing that I do in secret. Nobody knows. But if not dealt with, they can spiral down into strongholds. That's what Satan likes to do, right? Introduces you to this new sin, this new pleasure, this new thing. And we think, well, it's not that big of a deal. I do it in secret. Nobody knows. What does it really matter? If no one knows, then it's not really a sin. It's just something that I enjoy. I mean, after all, the world is telling me that I should be pursuing what I want, the pleasures that I need. Let's say your hidden secret sin is sexual immorality. It's pornography. No one knows. I'm just viewing this stuff on the internet. Nobody knows. It's not impacting anybody else. It's not that big of a deal. We see it in media all the time. They talk about it on sitcoms. They think that it's fine. Why is it a big deal? It's not impacting anybody. I want you to do a practice with me. Everybody close your eyes. 
So close your eyes, and I want you to think of someone that you have direct influence over. If you're a parent here, I want you to think of your son or your daughter. If you are a son or a daughter, I want you to think of your little brother, your little sister, your friend in school. If you are a boss, someone that you work, uh, that works under you, or maybe it is your boss that you work under, but you have influence. Now, I want you to picture yourself in a house. You're in the living room, and you hear some movement over in the kitchen, and as you start to go towards the kitchen, you see someone sitting with their back towards you. And you realize that's the person you have direct influence over. So your eyes closed, you're, you're picturing walking through your living room into the kitchen, and you see that they're doing something in the kitchen. As you get closer, you realize they are in the act of the very stronghold that you say is not a very big deal. And then you let the reality settle onto your heart and mind. This is because of my stronghold. My influence over them has permeated, has seeped into their lives. You can open your eyes. I did that practice this past week, thinking of my sons. And it wrecked me when I thought of the things that I've looked at, the things that I've done in the past, those strongholds, to think that my influence over them could cause them to go down the same path, I would be devastated to know that my sons chose that because even if I never said anything or I never showed anything, maybe they got on my computer one day and they saw that browser history. Or maybe there was something said, what we thought in secret or done in secret, but they were at the door and they heard it. Or they viewed you do something you didn't know. See, these strongholds will permeate, will influence those you have influence over. You know how I know this? Because if your stronghold is God, it does the same thing. When God is our stronghold, people see a difference in us, don't they? And they want to know what's different about them. They just seem to have it all together. They seem to have this, this, this ability to see good in the world. They're always talking about the Bible and the power of God. People see that, and they want to understand it more. So that might hit you. But you might be thinking, well, I don't even know what my stronghold is. In Galatians 5, 16 through 21, it says this. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit. And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh. This reminds me of what we talked about earlier. You need to repent in order to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Because if you are pursuing the flesh, pursuing a stronghold, it is contrary, it is in conflict with the Holy Spirit as it continues. It says they are in conflict with each other. So that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Here we go. The acts of the flesh are obvious sexual immorality, impurity and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, <coughs> discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, I'm warning you, 
as I did before, that those who live like this, this is strong language here, will not inherit the kingdom of God. If you continue to pursue strongholds and sin instead of God, you will not inherit the kingdom. But you might be sitting here thinking, oh, good, mine's not on that list. I'm good, right? I don't even know what debauchery means. This is great. You might think, I don't need to repent. I'm I'm in the clear. Well, we're going to dig a little deeper, all right? Again, in this rooted book, they break it out into different strongholds, and they did such a good job that I felt like I'm not going to try and reinvent the wheel here. So I want you to go ahead and put that up there, Eric. You're going to see the different strongholds and then the descriptors underneath of that. And it might be things you've never thought about with that word before. So I'm going to read the main header, and then I'm going to read the lie that goes along with that stronghold. And what I want you to do in the moment is to be praying, (coughs) to be asking God to reveal to you what is that thing. You might have already picked it out. We did post this to our Facebook and our Instagram. If this is something you want to do later, I encourage you to do it. So we're going to start with the first one. Bitterness. Here's the lie of bitterness. I have power and protection when I don't forgive others. When I hold on to bitterness and say, I'm never going to forgive them, it gives me power. Next, the lie of control. I can control my own life. I don't need anybody else telling me what to do. I'm in control. Next, the lie of idolatry. If I just had a little more, I would be content. That Man, the grass is greener over there. If I just had that one thing, then everything would be fine. The lie of despair. Even God has abandoned me. The lie of jealousy. I'm entitled to all that I have. He doesn't deserve that thing. I deserve that. I should be the one getting that thing or with that person. Sexual immorality. The lie is, I am free to satisfy all of my desires. Man, is that a lie that society is pushing right? The lie of false teaching and religions. What I believe to be true is more trustworthy than God. Truth is relative to what I think is true. The lie of insecurity. I am less than everyone around me. The lie of rejection. I am unlovable. Who could ever love someone like me? The lie of deceit. My actions are justified if it gets me what I need. If it gets me ahead at work, then I will do whatever I can. I'm going to lie. I'm going to cheat, whatever it is. If I want to be the valedictorian in my class, then it's okay if I cheat a little bit here and there. It gets me ahead. The lie of fear. Being afraid keeps me from harm. I'm going to stay in my bubble. I'm going to stay in my house. I'm not going to pursue anything else outside of that thing because I'm safe here. The lie of pride is the last one. I am where I am because of everything that I have done. No one else has helped me. I've done everything. Rings true with King Saul, right? So these are the strongholds that probably every one of us here can resonate with at least one. 
And if you don't, maybe you should look at pride again. See, what I want you to know ultimately coming out of this morning, yes, there are strongholds. But what I want you to know is that God desperately wants us to know the freedom from these strongholds. He is waiting for us to come to him and say, I want to let go of this thing. I want you to be in control. He doesn't want us to get bound up and end up like King Saul, who never experienced the power of the Holy Spirit, who never experienced true forgiveness, who never experienced God's true provision. He wants us to experience new life, like Saul, who became Paul, did. See, Paul got it. He wrote words like this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. If anyone repents and turns away from sin and goes towards a new life with Christ, you can leave that behind. Yes, it's hard. Yes, it's messy. But you know that God is for you. And there's a new life waiting. Ultimately, God wants to be our stronghold. He wants to take over that sin and become our foundation. And he's given us the ability to do that. You might be sitting here thinking, I don't have the strength to get over this thing. You do not. You are 100% correct. But I want us to read 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5. It says, For though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not weapons of the world. On the contrary, the weapons we fight with as followers of God have the divine power to what? Demolish strongholds. Not just tip over so that we can tip it back up some other day, but demolish, get rid of, destroy these strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedience to Christ. Think about that. We are bound up by strongholds. And instead, through the power of God, we can demolish that stronghold and now take that stronghold captive and say no more by the power of God. God not only wants to be our stronghold, but he wants to celebrate with us. He wants to have this overflowing joy moment with you where you say, finally, you chose me. Because we read this parable that Jesus states in Luke 15. It says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins. She loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends, she calls her neighbors together. She says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This morning could be your opportunity to finally say, I am repenting, I am letting go, and I am turning to you, God. And when you do that, there is rejoicing. They are singing hallelujah. They are saying, oh, Hosanna, you are saving us. God, you have saved this person. Thank you. They are excited. We want to be excited with you too. So as we close this morning, I want to challenge you to spend the next five minutes in your Bibles. So if you have a Bible, get it out. If you've got a Bible on your phone, get it out. Get ready. If you need a Bible, there should be some in the seats. There's some up front you can grab. Just bring these back when you're done. 
But we're going to put the strongholds back up on there, and it's changed a little bit. <laughs> so you see the stronghold, and then the box underneath is the freedom we can find, according to Scripture, from that specific stronghold. So what I want you to do is I want you to open your Bible. You're going to go to that stronghold that you resonated with. Let's say it's bitterness. You're going to open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19, which we just read. You're going to open that up. You're going to read that scripture slowly. Therefore, if anyone, me, is in Christ, they are a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And then you're going to take that passage and you're going to pray it. Therefore, if anyone, God, I, I know I'm anyone. I know I struggle with bitterness, but I'm, I want to be in you. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. God, make me new. Help me to let go of this stronghold. The old is gone, God. The old is gone. I know it's going to be tough. I know it's going to try and draw me back, but I want to let go. I want to be in this new life that you've promised. That's what you're going to do for the next five minutes. Just rest on that passage and pray it. When we're done with that time, the praise team is going to come up and we're going to sing a closing kind of proclamatory song where we're just proclaiming Jesus over all of this. His power will reign over our strongholds. So I encourage you to take this seriously, to, to rest in this, to, to pursue this opportunity and to read that scripture and pray it.
Your name is power, your name is healing. 
forgive our sins. There's forgiveness that is promised from Jesus because of what Jesus did on the cross. And God freely forgives when we go to him. So there's no point in holding back. Thankful for just the confession that's taken place in this place today and the repentance. I want to encourage you with one other thing. Scripture also tells us that if we, it tells us that to confess our sins to one another and be healed. Forgiveness comes from God, but healing in this passage says when we confess it to one another. And so I encourage you today to share that stronghold with someone that you trust, someone that you know, someone that can check in on you. Maybe that's someone that's here with you, or maybe you need to text someone afterwards, that you share that with them. And also, I want to give you the opportunity to continue to pray here. You're welcome to come and pray up front as we wrap up. Uh, Stella and Randy are going to be up front. I want to invite the two of them forward. So if you want to pray with anyone, Stella and Randy will be here. Or maybe you came with someone and you want to pray with them. Um, so please, uh, don't just leave here if there's still that tugging on your heart. Share it. Share it. Confess it. It's power in the name of Jesus. So would you pray with me? Gracious and merciful God, we're thankful for your forgiveness. Lord, you went to the cross not to condemn us, but to set us free. Lord, for the forgiveness of sins. Lord, you call us to, to leave the old life, to turn and to walk anew. Lord, that comes by that confession, by that repentance. And Lord, you're sharing it with one another. 
the freedom that you found and you want to walk in with Jesus. Lord, I thank you for the work that you have done here, that you're continuing to do, and Lord, that you'll carry us out of here with that. So merciful Father, we're so thankful for your love, your unfailing love, your compassion, and your forgiveness. Jesus, we want to say that we love you and we're grateful. We pray this all in your strong, your powerful, and your wonderful forgiving name, the name of Jesus. Amen.